Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. I'm Cheryl Waters. I'm here in the KEXP gathering space, beyond delighted to be welcoming live music back in our building after what seems like an eternity. And I have been looking so forward to inviting this artist to perform here at KEXP. Listeners so excited about the new album, Vulture Prince. And here is Aruj Aftab live on KEXP.
Thank you very much for those of you who are listening. I just wanted to also say that um, I have with me today Maeve Gilchrist and Gian Riley, and so you're listening to them as well.
Listening to Rouge Aftab live on KEXP.
That is a Rouge Aftab live on KEXP. I think that has literally taken my breath away. Absolutely gorgeous. And I'm going to speak with Arouge. I want to thank her and her wonderful band for that incredible performance. And they are going to be playing at Holocene in Portland on Sunday and at the Lodge Room in Highland Park, California on Monday. Arouge, wow. Absolutely incredible. Thank you so much. Hi, thanks for having me. Your gorgeous new album, Vulture Prince, is really resonating with our listeners. Every time I play a song, I just, the email and the text light up. So many people get in touch, and I'm always excited that a bunch of them are new to your music. And there's just definitely something there that connects with the listener. And it's clear how much care you pour into your work. It's very complex. It's very subtle, very meditative, peaceful, and calming. And I just feel like it's what we all need right now. Mm -hmm. 
Is Was that your intention for this record? It seems like you had a pretty big scope when you approached Vulture Prince. Uh I'm I'm glad that I'm glad that it it feels like it's a music for the need right now. I feel like that's really great. Um, I don't know if that was how I intended for it to be received, but I'm just happy that it is being received um, in a space that is like kind of more broad than than you know like yoga or meditation. It's more like a healing, and also like some people are finding it fun. I, I don't know, you know, it's it's doing a lot of things for a lot of people, which is kind of a good, that's that's the idea, right? It is, and it is just so what we need right now. You've said that Vulture Prince is about visiting places that you call yours and places that don't necessarily exist anymore. And you have roots in so many places, Pakistan, Boston, where you went to college, and you live in New York now. And I, I, I believe you also lived in Saudi Arabia when you were young. And so you absolutely have a connection <laughs> to a lot of places, perhaps even more than I know from, from reading and the interviews with you. But you seem to take a little piece of those wherever you go. And it doesn't necessarily seem connected to a place the way we think of place mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. your songs. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, I think that I think that what's happening now is like me kind of understanding or just like acknowledging more that like, my the music that the art that I'm making or art in general doesn't really have to belong to like where you were born or or like where you spent a lot of time like it can really transcend sort of like geographical location and really is about um all the all the heritages that you inherited as you are just living your life you know and as someone who did sort of live in a lot of different places and also just like experience music in so many different ways with so many different people I think that it's kind of all coming together like that right now. Um, And it has its own personality that is kind of like not really attached to any actual place. I think that that is kind of the beauty of where it's how the the space that it's occupying now. You've been in New York for a while. Is that a place that you love living that you can see yourself being in at least for a while? I think so. I mean, I've been in New York for almost, uh, I want to say 50 years maybe that's too many um but it's beautiful you know new york has always been this like melting pot of all cultures and all all sorts like every possible like musical hero that you can think of who's alive like comes through new york at some point and does a performance and so you have access to see that or to be around like incredible musicians like like Gian Riley, like Maeve Gilchrist like you know i've met these people here and have cultivated had have the privilege to um, cultivate a relationship with them musically um, and that is something that I do contribute to being based in New York. Talk a little bit about your relationship with music as a child because you described your childhood as being surrounded by music lovers and people who celebrated music and were interested in a lot of the intricacies of music. Can you describe some of your memories of childhood and music? Uh, yeah, I, I think that my my family was well my parents were just really like very enthusiastic about music and so were their close friends so their circle of friends they were all just like extreme like music enthusiasts and and listeners and collectors of music and and sort of like you know sort of people who don't just listen to it are also like you know kind of uh, engaging in discourse and critique and like sort of deconstruction of it and so that kind of just being around that um 
was what I was around. Um, and then Lahore, I think, is also just such a it's a it's a city that is so known for its like poetry and romance and Urdu literature and dance and like it's just like the the culture itself is extremely steeped in like this vibe of like appreciation for music and art. So that's that also I think is just like kind of why they were like that in the first place, you know. You said that everyone in your family sings mm-hmm. really well, actually. So were they sort of surprised when you wanted to take it, you know, to another level, do it professionally? I don't remember any, like, extreme reaction from them. So they were probably just like, well, I guess one of us was going to do this. <laughs> so I don't, I don't think they were very surprised by it. I love that. Um, your latest record, Vulture Prince, acts as a second chapter to your 2015 debut, Bird Underwater, and you open Vulture Prince with a new composition of a song that you ended your first record with. And I'm wondering how you started working on Vulture Prince, and you, I think, thought that this was going to be a follow-up that mm-hmm. would come after, yet you surprised us with, with a with a sort of ambient album in mm-hmm. between um, to keep us, keep us company while you were working hard on this. But mm-hmm. tell me about the the creation of this record and what it meant to you i think that this record had a com- had some songs i feel like it's common i know i'm not sure with artists and how people write but i i would imagine that it's common that you have some songs that you are thinking about a lot and you're kind of absorbing either like the research part of it or the music part of it hasn't really clicked yet and so you're just those some songs can just like be in a work in progress mode for like years you know and you keep like saying ah, it's just not there yet it's just not there yet and you keep leaving it on the shelf and there's kind of like in my repertoire there's songs like that that I bounce around for many years and like play them live and play them with different ensembles and like just play with the song itself until it feels good to me and so some of those some like a couple of those are, are on Vulture Prince like Last Night and and Barome I loved Barome the way it was on Bird Underwater, but I also loved this other version um, that I had kind of uh, just was like strumming on the guitar one time uh, by myself and kind of that's, it's like a happier version, I guess. Um, and like, I wanted to bring it back, you know? So there's there's some there's some like that that have just kind of been knocking around. And then I guess the other ones are sort of a little more intentional and like written for... Uh, the theme of Vulture Prince. So it's just kind of a mixture of a bunch of things, you know, like whatever makes sense at the time when it's ready. What does Vulture Prince mean to you? You kind of have an avian theme to both mm-hmm. your first and record in this one. And, you know, the vulture is such a mythological and g- g- feels like a very old character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Vulture Prince, I liked the 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 two words started just like sitting together in my mind and like sounding really nice to me long before I knew even like what they were supposed to do um and then more and more so as I was thinking about the record and like thinking of a follow-up to Bird Underwater it started to make more sense to me and this vulture prince concept started to become like this being or or yeah like this entity started to like become clearer to me like you said vultures you know, it's like this massive bird and it is like super ancient. And, you know, when it's like when vultures are mentioned, I mean, also they're mentioned so much all over the world in mythology. And, you know, uh, 
and just so exalted kind of, you know. So I was kind of thinking of a vulture who is like, and they're also extremely misunderstood, right? They're like kind of sometimes um, considered like evil or just like scary because, I don't know, they eat like flesh, whatever, you know. It's like carry-on birds, that's what they do. Um, but I mean, I always thought that it was a very cool uh, imagery and then to imagine like this type of ancient royalty, you know, so like, but at the same time, like with less responsibility, kind of more of a fuck up sort of person, uh, you know, like, so like not really like w with the idea of having leadership, but also just not really having to have immediate leadership. So like a prince made sense there. Um, yeah. So then it just kind of like, I just kept playing around with that stuff in my head and it's just started feeling like really kind of like deep, but also a little comedic, you know, a little bit like fun. Uh, this character and so that's kind of and kind of sad and dark too you know so just like a, a blend of complex just like we all are you know like so that that kind of that kind of that vulture prince started to make itself apparent I love that I love the mm -hmm. lightheartedness to it I'm also blown away by the use of harp throughout vulture prince mm -hmm. you were very intentional about writing darker melodies which is not sort of a an adjective you would ascribe to the harp. Mm -hmm. And it is just so gorgeous on this record. And you've really intentionally um, looked for a certain sound there. And Maeve just does an incredible job. Again, kudos to those musicians. That yeah. was an incredible performance. Thank They're you so They're masters much. of their craft. Thank you. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Maeve is a very special harp player and has like brings like a huge amount of personality and experience to the instrument and kind of actually transcends the instrument itself with the way that she plays and I think that when we play together it's kind of great because I tend to go like really dark and she can be like really bright and so when we meet in the middle we find that sweet spot that I am sonically looking for. Well it is impossible to talk about this gorgeous record without talking about the incredible musicians that you work with mm -hmm. and you have a minimal sound on this record and you're representing these songs with three of you on stage now but quite a few people worked with you on this how does that look um when you're when you're working on songs together I imagine you bring the bulk of the ideas but when you work with such talented people mm -hmm. I don't imagine you write it out Oh yeah, on, no, no, no. <laughs> on on paper and say do this. No, we ne I never do that. There's no way that that is the way that it works. Um, there's a, there's obviously like you know there's the music and there then the, then there's like a workshopping um, time, and then of course there is like my overall vision of what it should sound like, and then everybody kind of uh, getting to know each other too musically and seeing how everybody fits together in the moving parts because it's like lots of layers of stuff but also meant to sound like nothing's really happening but then the full the full like there's a lot of subtle decisions that are happening in the music and in the sound quality that are bringing out this like final effect i mean we could talk about it at length because it is super deep and complicated but i don't know if you, we have time for that. <laughs> Maybe we'll do a podcast on another time. <laughs> a well, podcast on, on how Vulture Prince was written, the whole breakdown, coming soon. <laughs> well, you studied music production and engineering mm -hmm. and theory at Berklee College of Music in Boston. And listening to the complexity and the subtlety of this record, you are certainly putting a lot of craft into your songs. There's so much care in there. Uh, it's probably fair to say that you approach it from a producer's mindset. And I just kept thinking um, when I listen to your music and know that you grew up in a musical family, how different 
it might be if you didn't have that background, that education and that training, I mean, that must bring so much to your process. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you ever think about how you might be creating music and recording music if you maybe just were like a self-taught <laughs> musician? I mean, I think that I had that thought when I decided that I would like to study and pursue music in the in the way that I did, right? It's like, oh, I think I see what's going to happen here if I don't make the choices that I'm making right now. Like 20 years ago, I didn't want to be sort of just like an insular. I wanted to see more. I wanted to learn more. I wanted to like really expand uh, my mind musically and like try to absorb more because I just knew that there's more out there than like what I was just having access to and what I was listening to and and whatever musically was coming to my head, I was challenging it even at the time. And I think that that's true of like people who who write music, they're constantly searching for for this ex- this very same expansion. So I think, of course, maybe like if I hadn't had the journey that I've had, it would have been a totally different type of music. Um, but I'm happy that I did make the choices that I did. I'm happy you did too. Thank you. Well, you worked with a perfumer to mm-hmm. craft a scent that went along with Vulture Prince. And I feel like a scent is something we so rarely associate with music. What was that process like? That must have been really heady. Uh I actually should have brought you some. My bad. Uh, you know the perfumer? She's like this um, Egyptian a woman who studied perfumery in, in France and also then, but lives in Canada. And like, she's amazing. Her name is uh, Dana Al-Masri. Um, and she, you know, kind of, I was watching, like in the pandemic, I was kind of like following her on social media and just like seeing the sort of stuff that she was posting about, which is kind of like, you know, there's like, you know, the perfume world is so, um, kind of dominated by France and Europe and like, you know, they kind of say what the scent, what luxury, they kind of define what luxury scent is. And like, she was kind of talking about that, like perfume with, with sort of like a political angle to it and just like all these other beautiful scents like jasmine or oud like and how they're just like not really used the right way in, in perfume because it's just like the leaders of the perfume industry are are european mostly and so i was really enjoying her discourse and then she also started writing about her own brand which like uh she makes perfumes based on like a Led Zeppelin concert that she went to, you know, or like some woman that she saw in Cairo in the 70s smoking a cigarette at a disco. And she has like these specific perfumes that are based on these like moments in time for her. And that really blew me away and started making me think that I would like a merch, like I would like a merch item that isn't like a T-shirt or something very like intentional and like is kind of like another sensory experience and it was a lot i mean it's like really ridiculous to make a perfume you know like who am i rihanna like it's it's extremely expensive to even like make a drop of it and then let alone like sell it and then also get like imagine that people will want to buy something they've never smelled before and has just to do with an album that they might like uh but it smells amazing which is really i don't know how that happened but i mean i guess she's a great perfumer so you know she totally understood the brief um and people are buying it and, and everybody loves it and it also smells like the album I've heard so I guess we somehow managed to pull that whole thing off which at some point sounded just like this is crazy why are we doing this well we know what the album sounds like and we know we love it so yeah. if it smells like the album it must be fantastic <laughs> right. Arush thank you so much thank for you. playing for us today that was absolutely gorgeous bringing those amazing musicians with you and I look forward to what's next thank with you. you so much appreciate it 
You're listening to KEXP, where the music matters.